This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. We are underway, hour two of the program. Thank you to Donovan Bennett for joining us in hour one. Quick reminder that uh, we'll be up on our podcast feed in a couple moments. Wherever you get your favorite podcasts, Google, Amazon, Spotify. We are coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios for Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. Cracked Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls. We have a simple, permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. So we come here at hour two. We'll chat some Calgary Stampeders coming up in just moments with your Friday Stamps report. We also have another trade involving the Columbus Blue Jackets to talk about. Shane Doan is officially off to Toronto. And perhaps his relationship with one Austin Matthews, a big part of that move for Bradshaw Living and Company. Plus, we'll uh, hear from uh, a couple members of the Vegas Golden Knights and the Florida Panthers following last night's win for Florida in overtime. Carter Verhage, the hero. And we've got game four set for Saturday night at FLA Live Arena. But let's bounce back to McMahon Stadium last night is the Home opener, the season opener for the CFL, the Calgary Stampeders welcoming in the BC Lions and a less than encouraging start for the Stampeders. 25-15, your final last night. The Stamps unable to get a hold of BC early and uh, it wound up with Vernon Adams and the, and the BC Lions up 13 nothing. Uh, at one point, Stamps with a couple of missed field goals from Rene Perez, uh, which is certainly unusual for him. Uh, Jake Mayer in the offense struggling to find any sort of momentum in the first half. And, well, the Stampeders' defense was able to clamp down and uh, hold off and give their offense a chance to bounce back in this one. It was just a little bit of too little too late for the Stampeders. Uh, they're now 0-1 on the season, set for another Thursday night matchup next week into Week 2 as uh, they take on the Ottawa Red Blacks. And uh, lots to work on for the Stamps in this week, and uh, we'll dive into more of it right now. It's time for your Friday Stamps Report. Here is uh, Patrick Dumas. This this is the Stamps Report with Patrick Dumas. Under sunny skies at McMahon Stadium, the Calgary Stampeders and the BC Lions kicked off the 2023 CFL season. The heat was felt not only on the field, but in the stands as well, with a temperature of 28 degrees at kickoff. Halfback Trell Jamerson was a game-time decision heading into this one, but he was unable to make the start. Ty Daly uh, made the start in his replacement. The Stamps would win the opening toss and elect to receive a decent early drive for the club set up Renee Paradez with a 38-yard field goal attempt uh, that he would push wide left. Missed opportunities would be a theme early for the red and white. Vernon Adams Jr. now the main man in BC with Nathan Rourke applying his trade. 
with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Adams, similar to the final preseason game versus Calgary, would come out slinging, going nine for nine, spreading the ball around to four different receivers on the opening drive for BC. That would result in a nine-yard touchdown from Dominique Grimes, BC with the early 7-0 lead. BC's second scoring drive would come early on in the second quarter with Adams finding Alex Hollins, and then Rimes would get his second touchdown of the game off a 30-yard bomb. Stamps defense really struggling with the Lions' no-huddle approach on offense. Sean White would miss the extra point, so it's 13-zip BC. Stampeders still in search for their first points of the game, and they would have to wait as Rene Paredes would miss his second field goal of the game, this time wide right from 45 yards. Don't fret, however, as the next Leo's possession, Cam Judge picks off Adams, taking it all the way down to the Lions' 14-yard line. Judge led the CFL at impact plays by a defender last year. He had two interceptions last year, recording his first of 2023 in the season opener. However, the Stamps still trying to find their footing offensively. Jake Mayer misses a wide-open Malik Henry, but Mayer is hit on the helmet by BC's Matthew Betts. Stamps challenge for roughing the passer. The command center looks at it and sticks with the original ruling on the field. Stamps forced to try for three. Paredes already 0 for 2 on the day. Needs this one, and it's good from 22 yards. Calgary with their first points of the game now within 10 to make it 13-3, and that would be your score at the half. St. Peter's really struggling offensively and defensively. The red and white are really having trouble with the up-tempo game that Rick Campbell's Lions have brought to the table. Pick this one up later on in the third quarter with the Stamps driving. Jake Mayers picked off by BC's TJ Lee, but he pitches it to Gary Peters, who is unable to fully grasp the ball and as it is going out of bounds, Stamp Peters look like they've touched it. Peyton Logan looks to have touched it. Stamps retain the ball. A couple plays later, run to the right. Star running back Kadeem Carey gets tied up with a Lions defender, grabs his ankle, and that would do it for Kadeem. Peyton Logan, now the lone running back in the game for Calgary. Stamps would have to settle for another field goal attempt. Paredes would be good on this one as well. Calgary now within a touchdown of B.C., but that next Lions drive, similar to the first one, Vernon Adams leads the Lions on a 10-play, 70-yard drive that results in a Vernon Adams five-yard keeper. Some extracurricular stuff after the whistle leads to the Stamps taking two major penalties, leading to the BC Lions kicking off from midfield. Getting late now, the Stamps really needing something to go right offensively, and one of those targets working well with Jake Mayer was Trey Odom's Dukes catching three balls, including a five-yard touchdown, and holding on after taking a massive hit from BC's Quincy Malger. Two-point convert, no good. Stamps trailing by 10. Rene Paredes would make a 52-yard field goal on the next Stamps drive, but that would be as close as Calgary would get. Sean White would salt it away on the Lions' final drive, making a field goal. Stamps dropped the season opener to the Lions, 25-15. Coach Dave Dickinson following this one. Well, I mean, I didn't really honestly think we did anything that well. Um, three phases. I didn't think we did that. We didn't get after their quarterback. We did. We struggled offensively. We had no rhythm, couldn't run, didn't protect well enough, and missed a few uh, pivotal kicks. Cody played great. So, uh, you know, it's early. I'm not going to beat them up. I understand what it is. Uh, but look in the mirror. we got to be better, coaches as well, and uh, try to find a way to be better next week, hopefully get a win. You mentioned about the, not putting the pressure on the quarterback. What, what would that them have do, doing a good job on the O-line? I mean, well, for me, unfortunately, I can't comment until I see the tape. Uh, I thought he is a scrambling quarterback, and there was a few times we got there. I don't know how many we were rushing. Uh, you know, they did a nice job, though, I'll be honest. They 
they were in rhythm. They got the lead as they, they uh, seem once they get the lead and they can stay in more of their first down package, which is a lot of run fakes and play actions. Uh, had some guys wide open. So on the back end, I don't know if we did a great job. but uh, Never took advantage of the things we had. We had some turnovers there with Cam's interception. We had some great field position offensively. Uh, just didn't, didn't get the job done either. How much of that ineffectiveness was because of details versus like a just overall lack of execution? Well, they're, good, they're a good defense and uh, you know, uh, well coached and uh, they did some good things. Um, you know, we got to stay ahead of the, of the sticks, meaning we can't be a second and long team. We're just, uh, you know, sometimes the second and long team, a quarterback, you know, is basically uh, has to do things that are kind of outside of what the play call is. And uh, we weren't able to necessarily give Jake the time to, to make that extra read, to make that extra, to try to find an extra play. Um, and they also, you know, they were covering us pretty well. I didn't see a lot of guys open. Uh, so receiver-wise, we, we didn't look overly explosive. It's our job, though, to move people around and, and, and create space and find different ways to get these guys open. So it's a team loss, uh, disappointing, but uh, you know it is week one, so we got to move forward. You mentioned Jake not having time. Um, was, was the protection that he got a concern? I mean, he had three guys who weren't starters last year. Yeah, I don't. I, I got to look. I mean, I didn't think it was um, terrible, but uh, you know, some of them were just they blitzed off edges, and we didn't have the right calls as far as protection to pick it up. So. Uh, it's not just sacks are a team team deal, uh, running backs, O-line, and quarterback. Um, you know, we, we did make it interesting, but really I don't feel like we had any rhythm the entire game. And, you know, the, the hill was just too big to climb. We were just, uh, we were in the hole too deep. What's up? What did you think about Malik Henry's I guess I, I, it's hard for me to evaluate. I don't even know the stats. Uh, you know, I, I know they paid some special attention to him. I, I definitely think they, they knew where he was lined up. Uh, feel, felt like our slots had the bigger games, both Reggie and, and Trey, but that's just that's just from uh, looking from the sideline. Is week one different than every other week? I mean, you guys haven't always had in the past sort of six, seven years the most success in week one. You've generally been a pretty successful Yeah, season. it's disappointing at home. Uh, I thought the fans were into We didn't give them anything to cheer for. Um, but, you know, you, if you do the right things and you keep working and you, you find a way to start winning some games, you can put week one behind you pretty fast. But right now it's certainly a disappointment. Um, can't say anything more than that. Dave, you gave up those early touchdowns, but overall, what did you think about your defense? Yeah, I mean, they fought. Uh, the, the thing I was most disappointed in was some of the penalties at the end. Uh, lack of poise, and, and uh, we had a chance, maybe, if we could have uh, you know, got that sack. And Let's look at the tape. Uh, I'm never going to question their effort. I, I definitely think the guys are going to play hard, and they want to be here, and they enjoy uh, playing for Brent and this team. but. Ultimately, we have to figure out ways to change up what we do. Some, some coordinators, you know, know kind of our tendencies, and they're going to try to run their plays. And they were sharp. They found ways to find those uh, those openings early and on the corner routes that they've traditionally found on us. So, we've got to try to take those away. How much did you miss Jamerson? Well, I don't know. You know, Tay Daly stepped in with he hadn't been here a long time. Um, Probably, yeah, but you know the other uh, Tay I think can play. It's just he just hadn't really played that position. We got caught off guard on that a little bit. Uh, you know, it happened in practice, and and we tried to make an adjustment. Uh, we're a little light in the back end anyway, so um, all professionals, professionals. I, I have faith in their coach to to get the job done. And it wasn't that uh, the field half was necessarily the the only thing that we need to improve on. So stay together as a group, come together as a group, and play better. On a positive, Trey Odom's Dukes. Yeah, I thought, like I said, I thought the interior receivers played fairly well, both uh, Trey and Reggie, uh, tons of yak. 
but not good enough. So hey, it is a team loss. We got to look in the mirror and take it. Are you worried about Kadeem Carey at all? Yeah, he got hurt. So uh, yeah, that's uh, when he's rolling. He's when we're best. When we can do our play action pass because we're running the ball so well. Um, never really started off early hot, and then we didn't get back into flow, and uh, so we got to look at that as well and see uh, kind of where we went off the rails. Just one injury to take away from this game, and it's a big one so far. It's running back Kadeem Carey, who did not return after leaving late in the third quarter with an ankle injury. He'll be reevaluated on Friday. The Stamps will hold an availability later on Friday before a day off on Saturday and then back on the practice field Sunday as Calgary gets ready for their next opponent in Week 2, which will be a trip to the nation's capital to take on the Ottawa Red Blacks next Thursday night. With your Stamps report, I'm Patrick Dumas. Thank you, Patty. Appreciate that. Yes, Stampeders falling 25-15 at McMahon Stadium last night. And uh, you heard from head coach Dave Dickinson a couple of areas they just didn't execute well in. And offensively, I think last night was probably the biggest area of concern for Stamps fans. And the one thing that I I know we're always in react now mode in social media and when we're watching things like that, but I couldn't believe the amount of even national presence last night that was going on. Oh, this isn't it for Jake Mayer. I know it's just one game, but man, is this on Jake Mayer? I don't know if he's the guy. I, I couldn't believe the amount that I heard that last night or read that last night on Twitter. First of all, it's one game. If that's going to be your sample size, then you're going to have a lot of hot take opinions about who is and who isn't a good player in, in any league. And I said this with Donovan earlier, and I still believe this. If, if you want me to bet on a guy that's been vetted and chosen by Dave Dickinson and John Huffnagel, that's who I'm going to trust. Those are guys that have played at this quarter at the quarterback level at the highest levels. They have evaluated. They have made sure pretty much since day one of the John Huffnagel era that starting quarterback would not be a position of weakness for the Calgary Stampeders. And I have no doubt that Jake Mayer is going to fit into that same mold that his predecessors have, whether it's Bo Levi Mitchell or Drew Tate for a period of time or Henry Burris or whoever it's been. And the names do extend past the Huffnagel era. The quarterbacks for the Calgary Stampeders have long been a, a strong suit. But do I think that after one game, I'm, I'm concerned that Jake Mayer's the wrong guy to take over for Bo Levi Mitchell. No. John Huffnagel and Dave Dickinson are not handing out an extension to Jake Mayer midseason last year while Bo Levi Mitchell is still with the team, essentially, you know, spelling out the future for both guys in front of everybody if they weren't sure that Jake could be that guy. Was it a good start yesterday? No, it wasn't. The timing was off. He didn't have a lot of time in the pocket. They were there were a couple of missed throws. There was clearly some miscommunication. All of that can be corrected, and I think will be corrected. All the people that were calling for for Jake to start games you know, last year when Bo was, you know, struggling at times or was hurt, you know, there's a reason for that. It's because Jake Mayer can be that guy, and I don't think for a second that last night's performance changed that for me. I even think as the game went on, I know Jake said this in the locker room. Thursday night, they felt as though they got more effective as the game went on. I think that's something that you can look at. The second half offensively was a lot better for the Calgary Stampeders. Instead of pushing against a tough BC secondary, they sort of started taking what was given to them, some shorter passes out to guys like Reggie Bagleton and 
letting him do his thing, uh, racking up yards after the catch. That was important to see. And look, it was tough for the Stampeders. Dedrick Mills is on the one game injured list. You went in with two running backs and Peyton Logan and Kadeem Carey. And with all due respect to Peyton Logan, he's more of the returner pass option guy in the offense. It's hard to run the ball. He's not nearly the same physical force that Kadeem or Dedrick is uh, between the tackles. So the run game almost becomes a secondary thought for the Calgary Stampeders, and it's all it's all offense. Well, BC's going to drop guys uh, into coverage and make it that much more difficult for you to pass the ball. Um, they were up 13 nothing. The Lions were in a good position to do that for the rest of the game. So uh, in no way, shape, or form am I putting this all on Jake Mayer. Are there improvements to be made? Yes, there were lots of improvements to be made for the Calgary Stampeders last night. Um, but do I think that they've suddenly made a, a mistake that Jake's the wrong guy to take over for Bolivar Mitchell? No, I, I think he's still uh, the best choice for the job, and I think we'll start to prove that as the offense and the team gets more comfortable uh, as the season progresses. Uh, one major area of concern I thought for the Stampeders last night is one that's come up against the Lions quite a bit, and it's come up against some of these mobile quarterbacks uh, the lack of pass rush for the Stampeders, I think, hurt them again last night, especially early on. They had trouble getting to Vernon Adams. He's certainly an elusive quarterback who can use his feet to create you know, new pockets outside of the tackles and is a threat to run the ball. But I think for Stamps fans, you're probably hoping that the new tandem on the edge of James Waters and Julian House there would create a bit more pressure than they did. That you know, four-man rush that they throw out there with Rose, Wigan, and those two guys is going to be counted on heavily as the season goes on. You can't give guys that much time in this league. Uh, Vernon Adams looks probably as good as I've ever seen him in the CFL, certainly uh, better than I've seen him during his time with the Montreal Alouettes, uh, probably just with a stable coach and a stable uh, offense there in, in BC. It's helping him uh, find his rhythm again. But for the Stampeders, I thought, just a, a couple of things were really the main factors last night. I thought there were some good things as well. I thought Cam Judge uh, and Micah Alway formed a pretty good tandem at that linebacker spot for the team. Uh, Trey Roberson, I know he got beat on one of the touchdowns, but I thought he looked a lot more like the Trey Roberson that shut down cornerback that the Stampeders need going forward. So I think positives obviously mixed with negatives, and that's going to happen when you have a 10-point loss to start the season. Good news for the Stamps. They got a week to uh, get ready. They're on Thursday night football once again next week. They're into the nation's capital to take on the Ottawa Red Blacks. That one, a 5.30 kickoff. But we've still got plenty of week one action to get to across the CFL. Starts tonight. Uh, I know plenty of TVs in Calgary are uh, going to be focused on this one. It's in Winnipeg. The Ticats and the Blue Bombers. Already a great rivalry over the last couple of years. Now adding all the changes for Hamilton, including... Their new starting quarterback, Bo Levi Mitchell, he makes his regular season debut in the black and yellow of Hamilton. And he takes on a pretty stout Winnipeg team that is looking to get back to the Grey Cup for the fourth straight time. Uh, they lost last year to the Toronto Argonauts, falling just short of that three-peat. Um, but there are a lot of people's betting favorites this year to get back once again just because of that continuity. And Zach Caleros uh, still fighting off. You know, being an older quarterback in this league, but uh, the tandem with him and Mike O'Shea and the rest of that group in Winnipeg 
looking to do some damage. So that's Friday Night Football tonight. That one's a 6.30 kickoff. Saturday sees the Ottawa Red Blacks and the Montreal Alouettes. 5 o'clock kickoff for Cody Fajardo, the new quarterback, starting quarterback for the Montreal Alouettes and former Riders coach Jason Moss. Now in Montreal, Ottawa will not have Jeremiah Masoli for the first couple weeks of the season, so it's former stamp Nick Arbuckle getting the start. And then the weekend's off in Edmonton. Can the Elks pick up their first home win in almost four years? They welcome in Trevor Harris and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. You know the green and white travel well, as always, across the CFL. It's always a favorite spot of Rough Rider fans to show up in Edmonton. I expect it to be a, a very pro riders crowd in uh, Edmonton for that game. Should be good to see what uh, kind of progression the Elks have made. Uh, with Taylor Cornelius at the quarterback spot, see if Chris Jones can finally get that team uh, pointed in the right direction. Been a tough couple of years up in Edmonton, although no one in Calgary feels bad about that. So that's your CFL week. Again, starts off with a 25-15 loss for the Calgary Stampeders last night and continues with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in Winnipeg to take on the Blue Bombers for a 6.30 kickoff tonight. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. We're going to close out the hour with some NHL news, plus we'll hear from both head coaches following last night's Game 3 victory for the Florida Panthers. That, as Sportsnet Today rolls on, here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, into the final segment of Hour 2, Logan Gordon along with you, Azam and Callum, our producers on this Friday, no Cam, no Taylor. Somehow the ship is still afloat. You're on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Or if you're listening on podcast, uh, we've had a busy show. Stamps report with Patty Dumas. Donovan Bennett chatting some CFL. Also some hockey news at the top. Elliot Friedman reporting that uh, Ryan Huska, front runner for the Calgary Flames head coaching job. Maybe we'll see an announcement in the next couple of days, maybe after the weekend. Uh, so we chatted all about that in hour one. And that's just uh, really the tip of the NHL news that we've had today. We've got lots to go. We haven't even dove into uh, what was a huge Game 3 win for the Florida Panthers last night. We'll get to that in just a couple minutes. But uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets have provided us with a couple of storylines this week. And uh, apparently that, I don't know if it was an unwritten rule or just a general timeline of things where you don't generally make big trades or big moves. Uh, ahead of the NHL Stanley Cup final wrapping up. Columbus just not interested in any of that. Uh, Three-team trade earlier this week that saw them acquire Ivan Provorov uh, to help out their back end. We had Aaron Portsline of The Athletic on earlier this week saying, look, probably still going to try to add to their back end. Maybe another top six forward makes sense for this group. Well, uh, they did add to their back end again today. They make a trade with the New Jersey Devils. It is a sign-and-trade. Uh, Damon Severson traded to the Columbus Blue Jackets by the New Jersey Devils after he signs an eight-year, $50 million contract with New Jersey. That comes with an average annual value of $6.25 million, runs through the 2030-31 season. He was set to become a UFA on July 1st, uh, but would not have been eligible to sign a contract longer than seven years if he had gone down the UFA road, so... Instead, he uh, does a sign-and-trade, signs off on an eight-year deal with New Jersey uh, to then in turn be traded to Columbus for a third-round pick. 28 years old, 33 points in 82 games for the Devils this season. 
Uh, three points in 12 Stanley Cup playoff games. He was the longest tenured player on the New Jersey Devils, spending nine seasons in Jersey, uh, but was set to be a cap casualty for a team looking to extend the likes of Jesper Brat and Timo Meyer in New Jersey. So all of a sudden, the back end for Columbus that was looking like a, a sore spot for this group um, suddenly looks a lot more respectable. Zach Rowenski, Provorov is there now. Uh, Damon Severson joins company there and look for, you know, maybe someone like a David Yurchek, uh, a high draft pick of that organization to maybe step into that spot in the top four. And that puts a guy like Erica Branson, who we know here in Calgary well, uh, a strong third pairing type defenseman, puts him more on a spot to succeed as he's got three years left on his contract that he signed with the group last year. Still the likes of Andrew Peak there, 25-year-old defenseman. Adam Boquist is signed uh, for a couple years there in Columbus. So things certainly looking better uh, in front of Elvis Mers Lincolns going forward with the six guys that Columbus can put out now. Still a question of what they're going to do at center. Uh, again, when we talked to Aaron Portsline earlier this week, he said, I-, I don't see a situation when they move that third overall pick. And I can't see them, you know, wanting to move that. Uh, that's something that Elliot Friedman sort of dove into this week as well, saying uh, Columbus feels they can get their franchise center with that third overall pick. So they're going to keep it there and continue uh, with the draft process. So could it be Leo Carlson? Could it be Adam Fentilli? We'll have to wait and see uh, those answers, but it does look as though uh, Jarmo Kekalainen's group will look a lot different than the team uh, that finished 31st overall in the NHL standings this past season. Other piece of NHL news, this broke uh, yesterday, uh, or starting to break yesterday as we were finishing up the show. Uh, Kevin Weeks of ESPN was reporting that uh, Shane Doan was said to become a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs front office staff, uh, and that's uh, been officially announced today by the group. Uh, He is now a special advisor to GM Brad Treliving. He was serving as the Coyotes' chief hockey development officer uh, in 2021, but he took a step back in that role uh, last season. He's more than 1,500 NHL games with the Arizona Coyotes organization. 402 goals, 507 assists in 21 seasons. Uh, joined the NHL's hockey ops department for a while. He was general manager for Canada's men's Olympic team of the 2022 Beijing Games and won gold as an assistant GM at the 2021 IHF World Championships and uh, Shane spoke to the media today and talked about uh, his time in Arizona and what the Coyotes organization uh, means to him as he takes this new opportunity in Toronto. Obviously, um, yeah, I, I love the Coyotes and uh, yeah, it's been I've been here a long time. Um, realistically, it, it's the opportunity for relationships with the, that I had with Brad Tree Living and, uh, and the people that I kind of got to know. Over the years here in Arizona, was one of the guys was Brad, and we've stayed in contact, and that was a big part of it. And then on top of that, it's it's the Toronto Maple Leafs, like it's it's the one of the one of the premier, not just hockey franchises, but uh, sports franchises in the world, and and that doesn't come along very often. So you combine that with the relationships that I had with Brad and some of the other guys, um, it made it so it was a it was something that I couldn't pass up. Another big aspect of this, uh, many people were going to the relationship 
that Shane Doan holds with Austin Matthews, the Leafs superstar, with one year left on his current contract. Growing up in Arizona, he said that his hockey idol was Shane Doan. They've uh, grown uh, in a relationship the last couple of years together, Matthews and Doan, and uh, Shane was asked about that by the Toronto media today. And uh, look, I can't imagine it hurts the group in Toronto and Shane Doan uh, for Matthews and Doan to have that that strong bond as they look to get Matthews re-signed long-term in Toronto. Here's what Shane Doan had to say about that. Uh, it's good. I mean, he's somebody that I really, I enjoy and admire him. I mean, everything that he's done in his career is, uh, we joked when uh, when he got drafted that uh, he's entering an NHL that's different than I played in. Um, he's going in as the first overall pick in, in the largest hockey market in the world. And uh, he's going to be the premier player there. And that's, that's unique. And, the way he's handled himself has been um, incredible, and we got a great relationship. Uh, he comes and skates down here. He'd been skating with me since he was 16, and and then he, he, we've continued those skates, and it's been fun, and I enjoyed that, and uh, we have a good relationship. Next up, we'll go to Luke Fox, Sportsnet. Go ahead, Luke. Congratulations, Shane. Um, just building on that, I'm sure you know that Leafs Nation has some amount of angst over Austin's next contract. Uh, so I, I'm, I guess I'm just wondering how much you anticipate um, being involved in, in those conversations just because of that relationship you have with him. Well, I mean, yeah, that's something that uh, I think everyone that's a Leafs fan understands that. And he has that, you know, he has that right as a player to, to kind of go through that. Um, and I think every single organization does that when they have an elite pro, uh, elite player and, uh, it's no different with him, whether or not, uh, you know, I, I'll be involved in helping Brad and helping the organization in any way possible. And if I can help in that area, I'll help. Um, but at the same time, uh, that'll be that'll be uh, his decision. And, and I, I'm excited about, you know, the opportunity to work with him for the next little bit. So then Shane Doan and his relationship with Austin Matthews and, uh, of course, the impending contract negotiations with new GM Brad Trilliving. And the star pupil of the Toronto Maple Leafs, number 34, Austin Matthews. Uh, should talk about last night's matchup, the Florida Panthers, with a big win in game number three. It was almost do or die for Florida in this one. Matthew Kachuk, the hero for the Panthers, all playoff long, finds uh, another bit of magic on his stick late in the third period, ties this game up, heading to overtime. Eventually, Carter Verhage with a nice shot, uh, beats a screen to Aiden Hill, sends uh, Florida... Into game four, down just 2-1 in the series instead of down 3-0. It was a gutsy win for the Panthers, who were outplayed for a majority of the game, but uh, found a way to win when it mattered most and now uh, have changed the tone of this series heading into game number four. Uh, here is head coach Paul Maurice speaking post-game last night on his team's effort to get back in this series with a big win in game number three. Paul, can you tell us what ran through your mind when Matthew tied it? And again, how you felt the first thing you thought when Carter won it? We've just seen it before with Matthew. Um, it's more the mood on the bench in the last five or six minutes, right? There's that belief that it can happen. I don't think that quite captures it. It's the, uh, there's an intensity on the bench about good things that could happen. So. Once we get to overtime, we feel pretty good. We get the kill, which was huge. Great block by Eric Stahl. Um, and then we're looking for one shot. We've been good at that. 
Right side, Did second round. Who, who start the next game? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's unkind. But I appreciate that. Okay. Let's move on. Who is starting the next game? No, I'm just kidding. We're not sure. Um, was it league protocol that took Matthew away for a while? Yes. Or it was. Okay, so Correct. concussion protocol. Correct. And when that is going on, what's your – how informed are you when you're in the middle of oh, the action? Oh, no, you're not informed at all. It's a complete shutdown. Right? The room gets goes into a quiet room. There's no checking when you're coming out. So you are completely, completely in the dark on those. You don't know when the player's coming back. There's not a, an update. Back left. You glad he came back in? Back here. Glad he came back in? It's after midnight, eh? <laughs> yeah, it was fine. A little bit, a lot more structure. You had to be happy, I mean, not being down 2-1, but the structure of your team game, were you pleased with how we you guys really came out? the first period. Didn't like the minutes that I had on people after two. I've got Sam Reinhardt at 17 and about seven rows or even strength. Didn't like that at all, but we survived it. Left side, second row. Coach, uh, over here. Uh, Jameson on FloridaPanthers.com. Just want to ask, so many big wins throughout this playoff run and overtime, you guys are undefeated. What is it about this team in the biggest moments where you guys always seem to come out on top? I think, you know, might might be a holdover from last year, not in terms of stuff. This is a team that scored an awful lot of goals. So just sitting in as individuals on the bench, they've had big goal moments, right? I think. 24 comebacks last year, if that, you, you would know better than I would, but I think that's the number. So you get to keep a little bit of that confidence, right? So there's guys on that bench that have scored in a comeback and a goalie pulled um, that feel it. Hey, he wants the puck, right? Why wouldn't he? So I think there's a little bit of kind of collective confidence from the past. Front left. Uh, Mike Russo from the Athletic. Why does Carter want the puck? What is it about him that allows him to keep on coming through in these moments? And and did he uh, keep you from getting fined tonight? <laughs> I think it was pretty good for three games. <laughs> My wife's got a stone at home called the Roberts Diamond. Lance Roberts. We've had a tough night. Once, right before Christmas, didn't say a word. She's got a really nice stone called the Robert's Diamond. That's a fact. Uh, Carter would have that collective idea, right? He's he's over the course of his career has gotten a puck off his stick faster than somebody can react to it. So you get to overtime, nobody's beefing you for a better play. I'm wide open. Why didn't you hit me? Right side, front row. I've asked you a couple times about Matthew Kachuk over the last two months. What is he like in these games? What is he like on the bench? What, how does he attack games like this? You know what? He's quiet. Like, um, I felt there was a really big shift in his, well, his demeanor but approach to the game right around January. So if you look at his block of time, notwithstanding the first two games of the Stanley Cup final, didn't take any penalties. He had six games, I believe, from January on. Four of them were two-minute minors, two 
his brother was involved with at least one of them, but there was a 17-minuter, and that was... But he's really kind of, I think, ascended to the idea of how important he is to our team, that he has to be on the ice and he has to play, and he's lived by that. Um, quiet. I mean, positive with his teammates, for sure, uh, but quiet. Take a couple more questions on the right side, third row. Greg Wyshynski, ESPN. Paul, you mentioned before the game uh, you didn't want them chasing the physical game, going after checks. They obviously didn't no. do that tonight. How, how important was that in the win? It's important for us in that, in that we, we, we are a physical forechecking team as a starting point, but not as an end point. That can't be how you define your forecheck. I mean, we want to finish checks, and we've got probably four guys that are hitters, right? They're going to finish every check. Uh, and they do as well. And then there's a whole bunch of guys who could do both. And, and I felt that we were heavily, heavily weighted to finish every check and not weighted enough to let's just go with the puck. So I thought we had a good balance. Steve Wan, Associated Press, Paul, to your left. Um, just You talked about kind of matchups. It's a little dark on this side, yeah. just so you have everybody and, in the front five rows against see your and, face. And I'm a little short, so it's okay. Uh, but no, you, you said you didn't want to chase down matchups, but you got, obviously, the first goal, the Kachuk line, maybe with the matchup you wanted, and then even later. How important is having that control at home and getting five-on-five five offense from it? It hasn't been important to us. And then... In the three games, so game two, there's no matchup for us because we're 11-7 and seven and, and we had chunks of time where we lost forwards today. So it hasn't been as important. I think when you get two months into a playoffs run, the idea, you have this idea at the start, right? This kind of, this is what this line does, that's what that line does, this is our matchup. And if you stay with that, you'll miss the game. Because the line that you think is going to be your A line, some nights just isn't, and then you'll get a Lundell line that has a huge night. And if you leave them in the three hole, you've missed an opportunity. So um, we've bounced a bunch of people around. We had a bunch of adjustments that we had to make because of Matthew's gap, and then the 475 penalties that were called in the game tonight. So we had to make some adjustments. Paul Maurice. Head coach of the Florida Panthers following his team's win last night in game number three up in Florida for uh, his team, a big win. Obviously, the mood different for a coach after a win than we've heard uh, after two losses in Vegas and now a chance to tie this series up on Saturday night in game number four. With the other side of the coin, Bruce Cassidy and the Golden Knights, first time they've fallen in the Stanley Cup final. What did the Vegas head coach have to say following the loss last night? We're okay. I know we gave up the first goal. We made it, a, you know, um, aggressive play in our end, and they got the puck to the middle of the ice and got a good screen. So, but we got that back. We got ourselves on the power play, so we're fine. One one. I like I said, there's a lot to like about our game tonight. Um, it always hurts more when you give up a goal with your goalie out, right? It always does. So um, <clears throat> that's the part we need to drill down on. But I didn't mind our game um, as it progressed, and you know they made a playing overtime and I don't know if there was a screen or a tip like it wasn't didn't, it looked like it wasn't going to be a game ending play uh, to be honest with you and it went in the net so sometimes uh, that happens to you uh, like I said I thought we had opportunities that didn't go in uh, they had a couple that did we had some of those from the blue line in game one I think it was White Cloud and Theo a few from distance so it's hockey some nights so we'll uh, 
regroup tomorrow, look at the things we did well, and try to, like I said, correct the, the stuff to finish the game. That's where we let ourselves down tonight. We didn't finish the game. Front right. Jesse Granger with The Athletic. Hi, Bruce. You, you seem pretty positive. The players we talked to seem pretty positive about just how you feel. You mentioned that like, giving up a goal late like that can be crushing. It can be hard. Oh, we've like, done it twice this year and turn around and won in overtime. So I think right. our guys can handle it. I'm not... Not to cut you up, but you know, it's it's not going to affect our mindset in overtime. It really isn't because we've been through it. You know, we'd like to not have to do that. Um, so I think we we're ready to play in overtime. They just made a play. So in, in terms of moving forward, though, do you feel like these guys, this this group, is is pretty much past it already and just? Well, I hope not. I hope it leaves a sour taste in your mouth at least for the night. I mean, you know, we we had a chance to put the game away. Talk about winning hockey. Closing out hockey games, how important it is this time of the year. So I, I hope they're upset with certain things that transpire. That's okay. It's an emotional game, but not tomorrow. Can't be tomorrow. Get your night's rest and, um, you know, be ready to, as I say, get better tomorrow. That's been our goal all year, be better in the next game, turn the page. So we will. I don't think that'll be an issue. And um, They'll certainly enjoy it, and they should. As When you win an overtime like that, get yourself back in it. So... But our job is different than theirs right now, and we just got to make sure that, uh, as we said, we learn from it and then um, put it behind us tomorrow. Take a couple more for Bruce, left side, <coughs> finger up. Ken Bolke, Sinman, Not Vegas. You were four for four on the penalty kill. First off, how good do you feel about your penalty kill? And then secondly, does it kind of affect the game how many you took? You usually don't take that many. Yeah, well, they took a lot too, right? And they typically do, but it looked like they were calling it a tighter standard tonight. So that's just the way it is. Some nights you got to adjust to it, and I felt we were trying to do that. Um, I can't remember all the penalties. I know early on, Will got one, a stick got up. It was the right call after that. Uh, Jack got one. You know, your stick gets parallel. Sometimes you get called, sometimes you don't. But at the end of the day, I liked our kill. I thought we did a good job with it. I thought they were... They looked like they didn't have the quick, efficient movement like they did in game two, so obviously took some things away. What they did hit was Reinhardt in the bumper a couple times, and that's something we corrected as we went along. We wanted to take that option away. It's one of their top options, so got to be mindful of that. But, um, yeah, I liked our PK. Last question back right. Uh, Dan Rosen, NHL.com. Bruce, you talked about it a little bit. The, the winning goal, if Puck comes up the wall out of the zone and, and, and they come back pretty quick, is, did, is that just a good regroup by them to create some space for that shot? I think we, honestly, we, we didn't execute well on the breakout, right? I think maybe guys were at the end of the shift fatigued. and So we didn't get a clean, but how he gets the puck, he gets it out to the neutral zone, so at least we can reset. Good play by them. Um, they got it wide and then into the middle, but our 2D were right there. White Cloud and Hagrid still in the middle of the ice, and we were in a good spot to defend, and the shot went on net and in. So, like, as I said, I don't know if Kachuk deflected it, if it was a flash screen. Because normally that's a you know a shot that you know we're going to give up and get the save and move on. So we wasn't like an odd man rush through the middle. Uh, so I didn't mind the way we defended it. Um, obviously I'd love it if Mark Stone kills the play in the wall, but I mean they got good players. They're going to make some plays. We still had lots of numbers. Stevie was coming back into the zone, so it, it didn't look like a dangerous situation. Other than we weren't able to get the break, clean breakout into their end and maybe a line change in fresh legs. Eh? That's what happens in the second period if you're clean through the blues you tend to be able to get your, your four-check game going. So that's what we would have missed out, but now obviously you know, it ends up in our net. Cool Knights coach Bruce Cassidy uh, following his team's loss. No panic out of Vegas uh, following the loss last night. They played pretty well, uh, just not able to finish it off, and the Panthers find a way to win in overtime. Carter Verhage with the game winner on a Matthew Kachuk screen in front of Aiden Hill, and we've got uh, a heck of a game four coming up on Saturday 
should be a good one. Uh, you can listen to the game right here on Sportsnet 960, the fan, or watch it across the Sportsnet television network. And uh, quickly, one of the big topics we talked about today, just want to finish off the show. Uh, back on this, uh, Pat's been on this from Flamestock. Uh, and Elliot Friedman had this report starting last night uh, on the Hockey Night uh, broadcast. Uh, the Flames closing in on Ryan Huska uh, as their next head coach. Uh, here's what he had to say on the Merrick show earlier today uh, about Ryan Huska and the possibility of him being the next head coach of the Flames. I think you actually just called uh, Ryan Har- Huska a marshmallow. Yeah, go, go go with that one. Radio me. You, you've been radioed enough. It's time you started lashing out at everybody else. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I could already see the sports the the, the sports net headline: Flames pick marshmallow to coach yeah. the Merrick. Uh, no, I, I think Merrick. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I, look, I I think I, I heard in multiple places yesterday that uh, it was trending towards him. I think the one thing you've always got to realize is that it. You know, these things can fall apart or there, there could be things that happen. But I'm under the impression that Calgary was, you know, putting it in place to for, for Haska. And, you know, as long as nothing goes sideways, I, I think he's I think he's going to be the guy. Well, if something goes sideways, Elliot Friedman says he expects Ryan Huska to be the guy in Calgary. Uh, we'll wait final decisions on that, as always, as, as Elliot mentions there. These things can take a turn. These things can go in different directions. Uh, but it sure seems as though all signs are pointing towards uh, the five-year assistant coach of the Calgary Flames uh, taking over for Daryl Sutter as this team's next head coach. We will, of course, wait for a final announcement on that. What will the coaching staff look like if that's the case? What happens with Mitch Love, Kirk Muller, some of the other names that we've heard around the team, Travis Green, Alex Tongay, will they be part of the, of the coaching staff? Uh, lots of questions still to be answered, but it does appear we're getting closer to the the big one being answered, and that's who's going to be the next head coach of the Flames. And as of right now on this Friday, it sure seems as though it will be Ryan Huska. When we chat on Monday, maybe we'll have more clarification on that. But uh, for now, enjoy the weekend. Thank you to my outstanding producers. Uh, Callum and on for their great work on this Friday. Thanks to Donovan Bennett uh, for joining us a little bit earlier. Thanks to Patrick Dumas for the stamp support. And thank you for listening whether live or on the podcast, certainly do appreciate it. Thanks for texting in at 960-960. We'll be off the next two days. Well, some of us will be off the next two days. Um, reminder, me and Pat will be broadcasting live on location tomorrow from the Calgary Flames, uh, Grilling with Flames alumni at Trail Appliances. Going to raise some money for brown bagging for Calgary kids. A pay-by donation barbecue at Trail Appliances, 6880 11th Street Southeast, 11 to 1 uh, p.m., Flames alumni, Tim Hunter, Dana Merzen, Colin Patterson, all going to be down there along with me and Pat. Trail Appliances, family-owned and operated for 48 years with barbecues in stock, including Napoleon. For more details, visit sportsnet.ca slash 960. Hockey Central 960 with the one and only Haley Salvian is coming up next. You don't want to miss that. Pat's got two hours of Flames talk coming for you later this afternoon. I imagine there'll be more talk about the news around Ryan Huska and potentially being the next head coach of the Calgary Flames while we wait for that official announcement from the team. Have yourself a great weekend. Stay safe. We'll talk to you again on Monday right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.